Thank you, Becky. Ephraim. All that's going on, it's, I know it's confusing. It's true, your, um, your mother is an Egyptian, and I was born a Hebrew. Now that puts you in a rather unusual place. Most of your friends are Egyptian, and you go to school with them. But most of those Hebrews over there in Goshen, all of them actually, are your relatives. And that's a confusing place to be. I understand it's a long story. It has twists and turns all along the way. It's anything but what I would have expected. And it's confused me. However, it's never confused our living God. In fact, the more I look back on it, the more I realize that His plan for us is absolutely perfect. Though I never would have designed it this way, written it this way. His plan is perfect. Let me begin at the very beginning and just kind of take this a piece at a time. And maybe that will help you a little bit with, with where you are. This is all recorded in the book. God's record of what has been happening. And um, I'd like to begin there with your grandpa Israel as you know him, or uh, Jacob, as he is also referred to. You see, the record reads like this. This is the account of Jacob, that he had a Joseph, a son named Joseph, 17 years old. That's me back then. And it reads, uh, he was tending flocks with his brothers. And this is where the problem began. Because I brought back a bad report about my brother's to my father. You see, that was such a problem because <laughs> your grandpa Israel loved me more than he loved any of his other children because I was born to him in, in his old age. And so, because he loved me so much, he made me this richly ornamented robe. Well, when your uncles saw me with that, it just made them madder than ever. And they couldn't speak a kind word to me, it says. And then I started having dreams. And I told my brothers about these dreams and they hated me all the more. But I had to tell them anyway. I said, listen, I had this dream. We were binding sheaves of grain and out of the field, in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves all gathered around mine and, and bowed down to it. Well... They hated me all the more for that. And they said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated me all the more because of the dream and because of what I said. Listen, for today I want you to understand this. Something you have got to understand if you're going to get anything in life at all. You were born the privileged, prized pinnacle of God's creation. 
You are made in his image. You are distinct from everything else that God ever created. You are more loved and cared for and valuable and indispensable to God Almighty than you will ever plumb the depths of knowing. You are privileged. But you're also prideful. You are a lost sinner by nature and by choice. Without hope before an absolutely holy God. You have rebelled against him. You've broken his law. You've willingly denied him in spite of his faithfulness and his goodness. And his blessing and perfect purposes for you as his child. You are prideful. Both of these things are absolutely true. And you, like me, your father, like your grandfather, Israel, like his father, Isaac, and his father before him, Abraham, you must understand the undeniable truth of these two realities and you're going to have to seek God for what he and you are going to do about that. That's the beginning of my story. And unfortunately, it needs to be the first lesson in everybody's story. So think about that one, and then we'll talk some more. All right? Thanks. Joseph, the Hebrew prince of Egypt, has much to teach us and much to demonstrate to us about how practically and progressively... We need to understand our God and ourselves as we grow and learn spiritually. God has chosen to reveal much through history, through recorded stories. Not everything, but many things. And the power of a story is that it can reveal what could be missed in direct teaching. It incarnates and makes tangible and more understandable the lessons that we need to learn. That's always important, but it proves to be Important once again in this story because I am convinced, I am quite sure that we are not as in touch with the power of these two things in our lives as we need to be. Our pride and our privilege. One of the things we can notice from this account of Joseph beginning in Genesis chapter 31 right away is that it's not supposed to be about Joseph primarily. It says, this is the account of Jacob, the blessed son of Isaac over Esau. It's about Israel, the name he had now received from God two different times. And it becomes interchangeably used in the narrative, Jacob or Israel. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, except to say, I think God wants us to see that this isn't a story just about any one single man, but rather about God ultimately doing what He wants to through His people. We don't get that. We immediately take a story and make it about one particular person, his life, his behavior, his choosing, and so on. And and that's true of Joseph here, but the story tells us from the beginning that this is about a larger story, and we don't want to lose sight of that. However, I will say it is about... One person living out life in God's greater plan. So Joseph does become an example for us of how 
God wants to work in and through us or not work in and through our own pride. You see the difference? This is not just the story of Joseph. It's the story of any one of us within God's greater story. So how does this begin? With understanding who I am in God's greater story. With pride and privilege, what you are born with. Let's begin with a privilege that we see in in verses 5 through 11. In this story, it looks like this. It looks like the preferential uh, love of the father, uh, the jacket, this ornamented robe that he gave his son and loved him more than any of the others. But it's also in the dreams that we see that come from God. God has something special in mind for Joseph. He truly is preferred and privileged. These dreams are true. They're recognized by the family for what they mean when he tells them the story. Will we really worship you? Later, he will tell Pharaoh when he uh, interprets his dreams that he was given two dreams because it has been firmly established by God. Joseph, in this story, receives two dreams to confirm that this is firmly established by God. Of course, we know the end of the story. Joseph was used of God to do great things. He saved many lives from famine. He was the providential earthly provider for Israel and all of God's people. When we are born, we are made in the image of God, the very pinnacle of God's creation. When we're born again, we're regenerated to be his instruments for his purpose and his glory. We're given gifts and abilities with various callings to serve him, with purpose and direction in our lives, with uh, an ability to be a part of what he is doing and be used by him in that. This too, of course, is a part of God's purpose. We are the recipients of God's immeasurable love. He is intentionally benevolent towards us. He wants to use us. We are immeasurably important of, of importance and value to Him. You are born with God's imprint and design, and you need to understand that. This is the positive side of who you are. And God's intention in this life that He gives us to live on this earth is to deepen our understanding of that. And if it could be summed up in one single word, I would call it privilege. If I were to express it through any one single symbol, I would do it through this jacket. If I may, this is the green jacket. Not just any jacket. This is the master's green jacket. Probably the most exclusive piece of apparel that we know in the United States. The master's tournament is one of four major championships in professional golf. Always scheduled the first week in April. It is smaller than the other major champions because it is a championships because it is an invitational event held at Augusta National Golf Course. The tournament has a number of traditions. One of them is this green jacket that is awarded to the champion of this tournament. And interestingly enough, if you are privileged enough to win this jacket, it never leaves the grounds of Augusta National but is stored carefully in a locker waiting for you to return where you would wear it 
there for everyone to see that you are a Masters champion. This makes the Masters unique among golf's major championships. The Masters is only held at Augusta National Golf Course in Augusta, Georgia, and it is private. Its membership is very limited and closed for all intents and purposes. In fact, it was only open to male membership until this past August. After much pressure and after the spotlight of the tournament this year, they introduced a change to this rule. And two female members were were admitted. The Secretary of State, Condoleezza Rice, and Darla Moore, a financier from South Carolina. This is the first time women have ever been given the privilege to wear this jacket. It carries enormous privilege. Masters champions are automatically invited to play in the three other major uh, championships. U.S. Open, the British Open, and the PGA. For the next five years, they earn a lifetime invitation to the Masters, no matter how they golf from that day on. They also receive membership in the PGA Tour for the following five seasons and invitations to the Players' Championship for the next five years. The privileges of the green jacket are not earned as much as they are given. Our privileged position before God is not earned. It is given. That is true because of how He has created us. You are distinct because He decided to make you that way. This is not your, of your merit. You are of intrinsic, immeasurable value before God because God decided to create you in His image. You cannot earn that. You do not deserve that. But it is also true that you cannot change that and He will never revoke that. You are privileged. And that is given. Now, as Joseph told his son Ephraim, this is just half of the picture, however. There is something else that you are born with. And that we see in the first verses of this chapter. Pride. We see it in the story of his gossip and his slander. He's a glorified tattletale. He does tend uh, flocks with his brothers initially, but then he seems to run home and tell daddy how bad they've been. Then the story tells that this robe was made. Your Bibles may say that it was a robe of many colors. That that, uh, idea stems from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, that renders it that way. What it actually says and means in the Greek is that it was a long robe that reaches to the hands and to the feet. The significance of that was that a man did not work in a robe like that. Surely not a shepherd caring for sheep like his brothers had to. Like a master's champion would never become a groundskeeper at Augusta National Golf Course. And then there's another reporting once he gets the jacket. This time he's wearing it and he's there with his brothers. He has no intention of working. He's just going to get more information. And of course this leads to all of the problems that he then ends up facing. His brother's persecution and the beating and throwing in the cistern, the selling and the slavery and the lonely imprisonment. 
Would we have been any different? Would we have acted any differently? If we changed millennium and the clothes and a few circumstances, we would find that not only could we have done these same things, we have done these kinds of things. We have willfully acted in ways that have hurt others, taken advantage of our position, leveraged our situation for our own ends. How does the story begin? With understanding who I am, with pride and privilege, what I am born with. I am privileged, a special creation of God made in His image. This is given. But I am also prideful, having willingly rebelled against my good Creator, And this is what I have done with it. You were born with yourself with all of your baggage and now that you've lived however many lives you've lived you live with the past and how with that privilege you have used it for your advantages and in your pride have done whatever your story records, probably not so dissimilar to that of Joseph. Oh, some of this may not have been your doing, but it still marks you and shapes you. Joseph couldn't help it that he was privileged and preferred over his brothers, but it still affected his behavior and his view of himself and how he treated others. As I said, this is not just a story of Joseph. This is the story of any one of us. You are born with yourself and you must live with that. The natural state of your sin and selfishness and with the past that you have now lived and the prideful things that you have done, both of these exist. They are what we're born with. They cannot be explained away. They must be dealt with. Pride is a result of your sin. Privilege is a result of being created. There it is. Beautifully in God's image. Life is about learning the depths of these two things. It's not a balance of the two. They will always be in conflict with each other. It is about the breaking of the one and the deepening of the understanding of the other. These absolutes, these prevailing ideas are proven out through time, through history and through God's record. And through our own experience as well, clarifying and causing us to return to what God has been saying about us and to us for all of these millennia. You are privileged. You're born, created in the image of God. And you are sinful. And that is what you have done with that. By nature and by choice. Now, 
How do we apply this? Well, when you understand both of these and accept them both, you begin to understand what humility is. Humility is not a a self-denigration or self-promotion. It is a healthy understanding of who you are. It's a realistic understanding of who you are in your strengths and in your weaknesses. So this is a good thing to understand because it helps us develop true humility. But were we to stop there, it would be tragic. Because that's great self-help. But what you really need is God's help. When you come to believe and trust the solution to this dilemma, you come to understand what salvation really is. As we walk through these principles, we're always going to come to a Jesus point. Because Joseph hadn't gotten this yet. And the story had not yet unfolded far enough. So I would like to take you to our Jesus point today found in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we find what God did in Christ Jesus regarding pride and privilege. Describing what He did for us, it says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In very nature God, He did not hold on to it. He relinquished privilege. And then it goes on to say, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He made Himself nothing as a man dying on a cross in your place. He paid for your pride. It's not enough for you to understand yourself that you're loved and privileged and that you are sinful and fallen, you must understand the solution to that problem. You must understand and accept what God has done to save you from yourself. He did so because of your privilege in His eyes. But He had to because of your pride before His holiness. So, we intentionally, on a regular basis, come to this place, this table. And I'll ask the men to prepare themselves right now and actually to come and to prepare the table. May I also mention, for those of you who have the need that our communion is now always gluten-free. So if you have that allergy, you can feel free to partake without fear of a reaction. But as we move into communion, I would like us to do two things in preparation. We are going to read the Apostles' Creed. It's in your bulletin, and if you will... Take that in your hand. I'll show you the privilege and the pride that are expressed in this 
creedal statement of what we believe. Our privilege is found in the fact that we believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, one who has created us in his image. And then we see why Jesus had to suffer and die and rise again in our place that we might have forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Would you read together with me in unison the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell the third day and rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now I would also like to ask you to consider the guided prayers that are in your bulletin as well, if you will take those out and refer to those at this time. Each one here may be at a different place on their spiritual journey. These prayers are to help you where you might be. Prayers of belief and a repentant heart are what are table worthy. Any of these might be helpful to you in this time of reflection. So my question to you is, do you know who you are in God's eyes? You may be humble in understanding that you're not perfect and that God is loving toward you. But what you need to be is saved from your pride of sin against a holy God, from your lost condition because of what you've done in your prideful sin against a God who is perfect. That is why the prayer of belief expresses what it does. And as I read it, you'll see the pride and privilege expressed. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever before believed. Pride. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. Privilege. I thank you for paying my debt, for bearing my punishment on the cross and offering forgiveness and new life. Knowing that you have been raised from the dead, I turn from my sins and receive you as Savior and Lord. If you can pray that in sincere repentance now, this is a celebration of that reality in your life accomplished in Christ Jesus for you, what you could never do. If you cannot, or, may I add, if you are currently, even as a believer, struggling with a known sin that you cannot leave in repentance at the foot of the cross, then I encourage you to abstain 
until you can. Because the Lord says that we're not to approach this in an unworthy manner. Instead, let's reflect right now over what we've heard, what we've read, what the Spirit may be saying to you. And let's ask the Lord and speak to Him about whatever He would put on your heart that you need to make right. Or maybe, for the first time, believe. It's not enough to just understand who you are. You must understand and accept what He did for you in what you couldn't do. I'll ask you to reflect in silent prayer for a time and then I'll pray and then the bread will be distributed or the gentlemen will come and they will pray and then distribute the bread. And I'll ask you individually to take that when you're ready, if you feel you should. As you individually interact with the Lord on what He's speaking to you about today. Then later we'll take the cup together as a corporate celebration of His blood shed for us. Pray silently now as the men come and join me at the table. Rick, would you thank the Lord for his body given for us? Lord God, these two truths touch the very core of our being. We have rebelled against you in pride. We follow our own idols, and we are lost. But there's also the privilege that you have made us for a relationship with you. You call us to that and you have provided the complete means to do that. Lord, we just praise, rejoice, and thank you that you have dealt with our sin at the demand of simply surrendering ourselves to you in faith. We praise you and thank you for that, for what is represented here, your body broken for our sake. We pray that you would bless this time, feed us spiritually, and make us like you. We thank you in Jesus' name.